0: Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode.
1: Welcome to episode 221 of GDPR Weekly Show, the number one GDPR podcast worldwide. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a data breach at Royal Mail. We then have news that the ICO has reduced a Cabinet Office fine for breaches of GDPR. And we then travel to America, where we brought you news last week of a data breach at Bed Bath and Beyond. And this week, their customer and technology chief has stepped down after that data breach. We then travel to Italy, where Vodafone Italia has had a data breach. And we then return to the UK, where the data reform bill has been delayed after the change of the UK Prime Minister and associated cabinet ministers. We then have news of some important GDPR-related judgments that are expected from the European Court of Justice in the next few months. And we then have news that TikTok has made key changes to its privacy policy for EU users. We then travel to New Hampshire in the USA, where New London Hospital has agreed to a class-action lawsuit settlement following a data breach. And we then travelled to Melbourne in Australia where real estate agency Harcourts has had a data breach. We then travelled to Finland where a Finnish man has been sentenced in his absence over the Verstamil data breach. And we then travelled to Boston in the USA where Aviana has been fined $425,000 following a data breach. We then travelled to Houston in Texas where St Luke's Health has had a data breach. And remaining in the USA we have news that Chegg has been sued by the Federal Trade Commission after four data breaches in three years. Again, remaining in the USA, we have news that a Russian hacker behind a massive data breach has been released from prison in the USA. And we then have news of a data breach at Dropbox. We then travel to Brussels, where the ECJ has issued rulings regarding the withdrawal of user consent. And then finally this week, we look at the countdown to the end of the transition period for the previous version of standard contractual clauses, with the transition period ending on December 27th, 2022. So, as always, a wide range of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com.
0: Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon.
1: A technical issue shut down the Royal Mail's click-and-drop website on Tuesday this week after a security issue allowed some customers to see others' order information. The data leak started at around 1pm, and according to an alert posted on the click-and-drop status page, Royal Mail shut down the website about an hour later. In an update posted shortly before 2 o'clock, the postal service noted, we've been made aware that there was an issue affecting click-and-drop that meant some customers could see other customers' orders. As a protective measure, we have stopped access to click-and-drop temporarily. We fully understand and apologise for the inconvenience caused by this. Our engineers are working in as hard as possible to get the site back up and running as expected. Further updates will be posted here as soon as we have more information. In subsequent alerts throughout the afternoon, Royal Mail assured customers that its engineers were continuing to work on a fix and hope to have the site back online as soon as possible. The service allows customers to print labels and pay for posts online and then track those passages until they reach their destination. Royal Mail responded to media queries by saying that it was treating this as the highest priority. Later in the afternoon, Royal Mail suggested that users might wish to resort to actual paper emergency order forms instead of the online versions. But then at around 6pm GMT, Royal Mail marked the issue as resolved and the website was up and running. We apologise for any inconvenience that this has caused our customers, Royal Mail said. The root cause is now under investigation. On Wednesday, Royal Mail said there had been no incidents reported that day However, some customers took to Twitter to say the site still wasn't working and that they'd been charged twice but not received any postage label. We approached Royal Mail for a comment, but at the time we joined the press they have not come back to us. We also checked with the ICO, who confirmed that the Royal Mail had not notified the breach to them.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: Back in episode 173, we brought news that the UK Cabinet Office was being fined after a data breach. Well, this week, the ICO, the UK State Protection Regulator, announced that it's reduced the fine imposed on the Cabinet Office from £500,000 to just £50,000. The ICO issued a monetary penalty notice last November after an investigation into an incident that happened in 2019. Back then, the Cabinet Office accidentally published names and unredacted addresses of more than a 1,000 people announced in the New Year's Honours List. The information was accessed thousands of times during the two hours it was left online. New Year's Honours List recipients are often individuals in the public eye, like celebrities from the world of sport, TV and music. However, after a Cabinet Office appeal, which argued that the fine was wholly disproportionate, the ICO appears to have had a change of heart. Information Commissioner John Edwards said that although he believes the original fine was proportionate to the number of victims, I recognise the current economic pressures public bodies are facing and the fact that in certain cases fines may be less critical in achieving deterrence. He indicated this was part of a new approach from the regulator which could result in more education and fewer fines. Since the fine was issued last year, I've adopted a new approach to working more effectively with public authorities to raise data protection standards. As I've explained, in certain circumstances, large fines on their own may not be as effective a deterrent within the public sector, he said. I am willing to use my discretion to reduce the amount of fines on the public sector in appropriate cases, coupled with better engagement including publicising lessons learned and sharing good practice. That approach has already been visible with the ICO's move to reduce a massive £784,000 fine levied against the Tavistrop and Portman NHS Foundation Trust to just £78,400. It also declined to fine two government departments in September for persistent failures to respond to freedom of information requests. Although the Information Commissioner is appointed by the Government, the ICO is nominally an independent authority, a non-departmental public body reporting directly to Parliament. <laughs> last week here on the G4G Show, we brought news about data breach at Bed, Bart & Beyond. On Wednesday this week, Bed, Bart & Beyond said its testament technology chief, Rafed Massoud, would be stepping down. Regarding the incident last week, it said it's still reviewing if the drives had any sense to real personally identifiable information. Massoud's resignation, effective on December the 2nd, was not the result of any disagreement with Bed, Barton, Beyond on any matter related to company's operations, practices or financial statements, the company said in a regulatory filing. If we get any further update from Bed, Barton, Beyond, we'll of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRweeklyshow.com.
1: To Italy now and Vodafone Italia is sending customers notices of a data breach informing that one of its commercial partners, 4B SPA, who operates as a reseller of the telecommunications services in the country, has suffered a cyber attack. According to the notice, the cyber attack took place in the first week of September and resulted in the compromise of sensitive subscriber details. The exposed information includes subscription details, identity documents with sensitive data and contact details. The notice clarifies that no account passwords or network traffic data has been compromised as a result of the incident. Vodafone Italia urges the recipients of the notifications to remain vigilant against incoming communications as the risk of being targeted by phishing actors and scammers has now increased. The notice concludes that 4B has closed access to the breach servers and implemented higher-level security on its systems to prevent the of a similar instance in the future. If we get any update from Vodafone Italia, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon.
1: With all the changes to government here in the UK over the last few weeks, it's perhaps not surprising that it's related to a delay in the data reform bill and it's now understood that the UK's new post-Brexit data legislation could face further delays after a Department for Cultural Media and Sport official confirmed further consultation is to take place into the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill, which is set to replace the EU's GDPR. The agency agreement with the EU, which allows data to flow between Britain and Europe, will be at the heart of the finalised bill, Owen Rowland, Deputy Director for Domestic Data Policy at the DCMS said. This news will be welcomed by everyone after the statement by DCMS Secretary Michelle Donnellan at the Conservative Party conference a few weeks ago that, quotes, they were going to rip up GDPR and start all over again. Such a move would definitely have put data adequacy at risk. Rowland told the Westminster Forum Event on Data in the UK on Monday this week that data adequacy with the EU is at the heart of the approach we are taking forward. But he confirmed further conversation on data protection and digital information bill will be held in the coming weeks, which could delay its return to Parliament. He said ministers need space to work with all groups to check we go as far as we can to enable growth and innovation, while protecting high standards and maintaining our parallel policy objective of looking after EU adequacy and doing so as quickly as possible. DCMS originally published a new bill in July, saying it was designed to update and simplify the data protection framework in the UK and take advantage of the UK no longer being part of the EU. Though details appeared to have been finalised, work on it was paused last month when it was about to have its second reading in the House of Commons. Speaking during the Westminster Forum event, which was held virtually, Roland said the goal was that any company organisation wishing to follow GDPR would be in compliance with the new UK data laws. If you want to stick with what you're doing in terms of EU compliance, then you can do so and still be consistent with what will be required in the UK. But for a lot of businesses, there's a lot to be gained by complying with just the UK context, he declares. He added that in terms of compliance, you can follow EU legislation and be compliant with the UK legislation. He said the aim of the UK legislation was to trigger growth and to take a risk-based approach to data regulation that was more pro-business while maintaining high standards of data protection. Emily Keeney, Director of Legislative Reform at the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, told Elliot that the ICO is closely monitoring the development of the new legislation to ensure individuals have confidence in its application. It's vitally important to maintain public trust, not just helping individuals feel confident their data is protected, but also as it allows them to be happy sharing data and in turn participate in the wider digital economy, drive growth and drive innovation, she said. A DCMS spokesperson said, As we have said previously, the second reading of the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill was postponed to allow new ministers to consider the legislation. We will continue to engage with businesses and civil society to ensure the regime works for all, but this won't take the form of another formal public consultation and will not affect the timeline of the bill. If we get an update on this from the DCMS, we will of course, speak to you in the next wave episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: There are a couple of important rulings expected to come out of European Court of Justice in the next couple of months in the field of GDPR. The first is that the European Court of Justice has been asked to provide guidance on the scope of data subject access requests. When receiving data subject access requests in accordance with Article fifteen in GDPR, companies face various uncertainties regarding the scope, limitations, and format of their response. In particular, it's unclear whether a data subject may claim the provision of a copy of the summary of personal data processed, or by way of broad interpretation, a copy of all data. For example, should it just say how many emails you had about someone? and a summary of their contents or could they be entitled to see the full contents of each email? The ECJ has been asked to decide on the following issues. Does the obligation to provide a topic of the personal data undergoing processing apply to copies of documents or just an extract of the data within it? One of the underlying cases pending before the ECJ is about a doctor facing a data subject answers request requested by one of his patients. One question before the court is whether he has to provide copies of all parts of the patient's file containing the patient's personal data or a copy of all the patient's data, even up to him how to compile the personal data concerned. And then another related question in front of the ECJ is does the obligation to provide meaningful information about the logic involved in cases of automated decision-making include parts of a company's algorithm? In this case, the case pending before the ECJ is from a credit reference agency who are faced with the question whether it has sufficiently complied with a data subject access request by providing the data subject with a table of his personal data. Can it refuse the provision of an actual copy of the data, for example a database printout, as Article 15 Paragraph 3 of GDPR does not require the disclosure of a facsimile of the data? Even if it would have to provide a facsimile, can it rely on trade secret protection to refuse the data subject access request as a facsimile would reproduce the logical mathematical links of the individual data records? And then the final question that the court is being asked is, is the controller's user log data, personal data, within the meaning of Article 15, Paragraph 1 of GDPR? In this particular case, a customer issued a data subject access request to his bank, requesting not only information on which of his personal data has been processed by the bank, but also the names of the bank employees who reviewed his personal data. Is requested log data, personal data of the customer, and therefore subject to the data subject access request or not? or is it simply the personal data of the respective employees? Regarding the access to the user log data, the Advocate General's opinion on the case is expected to be delivered on the fifteenth of December 2022. The European Court of Justice's judgment on the matter will most likely follow no later than June 2023. For the other two questions, neither a date for the Advocate General's opinion, nor indeed a date for any oral hearing at the European Court of Justice has been set at the present time. The other reading that's going to be important is, and this relates particularly to German and Austrian law, whether when imposing a fine against a company, it's necessary for the data regulator, so the ICO in the case of the UK, or the Berlin Data Protection Authority in the case in question in Germany, to identify who of the company's management team, or directors if you like, was negligent. In the case in question... The Berlin Data Protection Authority had issued one of the first hefty GDPR fines in Germany, some €14.5 million, Euros, against a real estate company without establishing a breach of duty on the part of a board member or their legal representative. As neither a date for the Advocate General's opinion, nor an oral hearing has been set at this time, it is unclear exactly when the ECJ will issue a decision in this matter. When we get any update on any of these from the ECJ, We will, of course, bring them to you right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. TikTok yesterday announced a change to its privacy policy for users in Europe, which for the first time names China as one of several third countries where user data can be remotely accessed by certain company employees to perform what it claims are important functions. The change has landed months ahead of expected movement on a year-long investigation into the platform state of exports to China under GDPR. The GDPR probe into the legality of TikTok's data transfers to China is being led by Ireland's Data Protection Commission, the DPC, TikTok's lead privacy regulator in the region, which opened its inquiry just over a year ago. The DPC says that it expects its TikTok data transfer inquiry to address the next stage in the coming months, with a draft decision slated to be sent to other EU DPAs for review in the first quarter of 2023. The article 6 review process could lead either to confirmation of Ireland's draft decision, which would then, in relatively short order, allow for a final decision to be issued, potentially before the middle of 2023. However, if other EU regulators raise objections to Ireland's draft decision, the inquiry would have to move on to an Article 65 dispute resolution process, which would add many more months to the process before a final decision would be issued. It is not clear whether TikTok's announcement of privacy policy tweet relates to this overarching GDPR investigation. The changes, which are due to apply from December 2nd, do also include an update on how the platform collects users' location information so they're not wholly focused on data transfers. But a disclosure of China accessing European user data would also be a not-very-subtle attempt to preempt regulatory enforcement over its data transfers and try and soften a future blow by being able to point to steps already taken to improve its transparency with European users. A spokesman for TikTok declined to comment on whether its updated privacy policy is in any way linked to the GDPR inquiry. Claiming you're being transparent and actually being transparent are not necessarily the same thing, of course. TikTok's updated privacy policy appears to atomise key bits of information, such as the full list of countries where employees may remotely access European users' data and for what specific reasons, across a number of collapsible menus and hyperlinks spread throughout the policy thereby requiring the user to click around, follow multiple links and basically hunt for relevant information amid a larger morass of data in order to piece together a comprehensive review of what's happening with their data. So if it's transparency that TikTok is really aiming for, it looks like it's still got a lot of work to do. As well as China, TikTok's privacy policy names Brazil, Malaya, the Philippines, Singapore and the USA as other countries where employees have remote access to European user data without the cover of an adequacy agreement, saying it's relying on standard contractual clauses for these data transfers. TikTok's spokesperson declined to comment on any future plans it may have to further adapt its data transfers in light of these challenges, but he pointed back to its blog post which describes its approach to data governance in Europe as being centred on limiting the number of employees with access to European user data, minimising data flows outside of Europe, and storing European user data locally. TikTok recently agreed to freeze a controversial change to the legal basis it relies upon to run targeted advertising after a formal warning from the Italian Data Protection Authority and some follow-up engagement from the Irish DPC over a plan to remove consent and claim a legitimate interest to run targeted adverts. So, its profiling and targeting model is facing challenges on a number of fronts, even as it tries to defend its business against wider geopolitical related security concerns. We will continue to keep an eye on these changes at TikTok and bring you regular updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com.
1: Two, New Hampshire in the USA now, a new London hospital which is part of Dartmouth Health and works to provide its rural community with emergency care, laboratory work, wellness visits and more, has agreed to a class-action lawsuit settlement to resolve claims it failed to protect consumer data after a 2020 data breach. The settlement benefits individuals who received an invitation from New London Hospital about the data breach. To give a bit of background, in July 2020, an unauthorised third party allegedly gained access to New London health systems, which contained no health information but did contain personal information such as names and demographics. The hospital sent notices to affected people in March 2021. Shortly after being informed of the data breach, consumers took legal action against New London Hospital arguing in their lawsuit that the healthcare provider failed to protect patient information through reasonable cybersecurity measures. Plaintiffs in the case also challenged New London's handling of the data breach and how long it took the hospital to inform affected consumers of the breach. At one the data breach class action lawsuit, New London Hospital is responsible for the losses and damages experienced by the patients following the data breach. The hospital previously attempted to dismiss the class action lawsuit, but the court did not make a ruling before the plaintiffs filed an amended complaint. New London Hospital hasn't admitted any wrongdoing but agreed to pay an undisclosed sum to settle the allegations. Under the terms of the New London Hospital lawsuit settlement, class members can receive reimbursement for ordinary and extraordinary losses resulting from the date breach. Each class member can claim up to $500 for unreimbursed losses professional fees, credit expenses, communication charges, five hours of lost time at a rate of $20 per hour and $125 in statutory benefits. Consumers can also claim up to $5,000 for extraordinary losses resulting from fraud or identity theft. These losses may include fraudulent charges, fraudulent tax returns and more. Class members can claim both ordinary and extraordinary losses for a total maximum payment of $5,500. All class members can receive two years of free three Bureau Credit Monitoring even if they are not claiming losses under the settlement. The deadline for exclusion of objection is December the seventh, twenty twenty two, and the final approval hearing for the new London Hospital Raw Seat Settlement is scheduled for January the twenty-seventh, twenty twenty three. In order to receive settlement benefits, class members must submit a valid claim form by January the eighth, twenty twenty three.
0: Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon.
1: To Melbourne in Australia now, and real estate company Harcore has confirmed a data breach occurred at its Melbourne city office, potentially exposing the personal information of tenants, landlords and tradesmen to hackers. The franchisee became aware on October 24th that its rental property database was accessed by an unknown third party without authorisation. For tenants, the personal information potentially breached includes names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, signatures and photo identification, drawn to an email sent by the office to its customers and circulated online. For landlords and tradesmen, the data comprise bank details as well as names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers and signatures. It comes two weeks after security experts and tenancy advocates raised concerns about the potential of data breaches in the real estate industry, which of course we mentioned here in the GDPR Weekly Show. The New South Wales Government has backed stronger protection and renters' information as a result. The company said the rental property database was used by representative of administrative support service provider StaffLink and accessed by an unknown third party. The company blamed a representative of StaffLink using their own device for work purposes rather than a company-issued device. The company said a comprehensive external investigation led by cybersecurity experts is underway. Each hardcore office operates an independent franchise with its own separate operating and IT systems. Arco Australia Chief Executive Adrian Knowles said dealing with the incident was the company's top priority. We understand people will be deeply concerned and upset about this state of breach. I would like to offer our sincere apologies to everyone who has been inconvenienced as a result, Knowles said. We are working closely with the franchisee to ensure that all impacted individuals are advised of the incident. In addition, we are in the process of establishing complementary credit monitoring and access to the ID Care Support Service for impacted individuals. Real Estate Institute of Australia President Hayden Groves said the body had been very concerned after the news of the Optus and Medibank data breaches, both of which, of course, we've brought you previously here on the GDPR Weekly Show. Graves said agencies were taking data security very seriously. We're not seeing agents be cavalier with the collection of data, but they do need to ensure employees are properly trained with things like email portals, he said. If we get any further update on this from Hardcore, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host,
0: Keith Budden.
1: To Finland now, and on Friday, the District Court of Helsinki detained a 25-year-old man in absence on suspicion of breaking into the patient register of Psychotherapy Centre Fastamol. The Finnish man is suspected of aggravated computer breaking, attempted aggravated extortion, and aggravated dissemination of information violating personal privacy. Investigators at the National Bureau of Investigation, the KRP, are also looking into his possible ties to extortion and disseminating information on victims of the hacking. The man is believed to be living abroad and an international warrant for his arrest has been issued. Our understanding is that he was living abroad when extortion took place, but where he was when the data breach itself happened at the turn of 2018 and 2019, we don't have a clear understanding of yet, Marco Levinen, the officer in charge of the pre-trial inquiry at KRP, said on Friday. Although the man was identified as a possible suspect relatively early in the last scale inquiry, the investigators had to rule out a number of other names that emerged during the inquiry. The probable cause for which he was detained in absence wasn't confirmed until very recently, revealed Lepardon. The investigators have yet to determine how much the suspect profited from the offence because not nearly all of the victims have reported the offence to the police. Levenon said the number of offences reported in the case stands presently at approximately 10,000, low compared to the 33,000 whose personal and patient details were reportedly obtained in the breach. We don't have a precise understanding of the victims who paid ransom to the perpetrator, he added. We're talking about pretty marginal sums, though. Our findings suggest that about 20 to 30 people have paid a ransom. He declined to comment on whether the inquiry has uncovered other possible crimes, citing ongoing investigations by foreign authorities. Psychotherapy Centre Vastamo was declared bankrupt in early 2021 a couple of months after first reports of the large tail data breach had emerged. The service provider had stated that its patient database was infiltrated first in November 2018 and then again in March 2019. Vili Tapio, a former chief executive of Vastamo, has been charged with data protection offences over the vulnerabilities that resulted in the leak and the publication of sensitive information on thousands of patients. Prostitutes have described the state of information security at the company as chaotic. It's understood that the man suspected of hacking into the patient database has an exceptional criminal record with offences dating back to his teens. The District Court of Espoo, in 2015, found the man guilty of 50,700 counts of aggravated computer break-in, aggravated interference with communications, aggravated fraud, aggravated message interception and computer break-in, and him a suspended prison sentence of two years. In 2020, he was convicted of making false police reports to send law enforcement authorities to private residences in the US and reported an unfounded bomb threat to American Airlines. The man has appealed against that ruling. If we get any further update on this, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. <laughs> to Boston in the USA now, and a Georgia-based home, health and hospice care company will pay $425,000 after it failed to implement proper security measures to protect the personal information of patients and employees, Attorney General Maura announced today. The complaint and consent judgment against Savena Healthcare LLC Entered today in Suffolk Superior Court, but a series of phishing attacks impacted more than 4,000 Massachusetts residents. Aviana is a national provider of pediatric and adult home health care operating in 33 states with Massachusetts offices located in Brockton, Plymouth, Shrewsbury, Springfield, Waltham, West Springfield, and Worcester. The AG's office alleges that in July 2019, Aviana employees began receiving fraudulent phishing emails designed to cause the recipient to provide credentials, money, and or sensitive information. Companies have an obligation to put the right security measures and systems in place to prevent hackers from accessing sensitive information, said Attorney General Healy. As a result of this resolution, Aviana will ensure compliance with our strong data security laws and take steps necessary to protect its employees and the private data of Massachusetts residents moving forward. The private information, which may have included social security numbers, driver's license numbers, financial account numbers, and health information such as diagnosis, medications, and treatment records of more than 4,000 Massachusetts residents, including patients and employees, was potentially accessed by the hackers. In one instance, a phishing email was sent to employees that appeared to come from Maviana's president. The attacks continued into August 2019, by which point more than 600 phishing emails had been sent to employees. Employees' responses to these emails resulted in hackers obtaining access to portions of Aviana's computer network. The hackers also tried to defraud employees by logging into Aviana's human resources system and altering individual employees' direct deposit information. In response to the incident, Aviana provided affected Massachusetts residents with two years of free credit monitoring. The Attorney General's office alleges that Aviana was aware that its cybersecurity required improvement but not implemented new changes to improve it by the time the phishing attacks occurred. Among the problems Aviana identified were a lack of sufficient tools and employee training to stop phishing attacks and a lack of use of multi-factor authentication, which can also help to stop phishing attacks. Additionally, the Attorney General's Office alleges that Aviana's security program failed to meet the minimum required safeguards to protect personal information under the Massachusetts State of Security Regulations. The complaint also alleges that Aviana failed to meet the standards of security-protected health information that was required by federal HIPAA regulations. Under the terms of the consent judgment Aviana will pay $425,000 to the Attorney General's office. Additionally the computer will be required to develop, implement and maintain a security program that includes phishing protection technologies, multi-factor authentication and other systems designed to detect and address intrusions. Aviana must also continue to train his employees on data security, keep them up-to-date on security threats, and do an annual independent assessment of its compliance with the consent judgment and the Massachusetts data security regulations for a period of four years.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: To Texas now, and Houston-based St. Luke's Health is notifying patients about a third-party data breach at consulting services vendor, Adelanto Healthcare Ventures. The resulting protected health information of 16,906 patients being compromised. It's understood that on September the 1st, the vendor notified St. Luke's that two of its employee email accounts were compromised by an unknown party on November 1st, 2021, according to on October 28, 2022 breach notification from the health system. The email accounts contain patient information such as names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, dates of service, medical record numbers, Medicaid numbers and limited information about treatments and diagnosis. Adelanto Healthcare Ventures said it has found no indication that the information has been misused, but St. Luke said it would conduct an additional investigation into the system. The health system is working to notify affected patients and in some cases will offer free credit monitoring. This event does not impact St. Luke's parent company, Chicago-based Common Spirit Health, nor is it related to an ongoing ransomware attack affecting Common Spirit and its affiliates, according to the breach notification. If we get any further updates from some Luke's, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon.
1: Remaining in America and the US Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, has sued educational technology company Chegg after exposing sensitive information to tens of millions of customers and employees in four data breaches suffered since 2017. The agency's proposed order would require Chegg to show up data security, implement multi-factor authentication to help users secure their accounts, limit collected and stored customer data, and allow customers to access and delete their data. Chegg took shortcuts with millions of students sent information, says Samuel Levine, director of the FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection, on Monday. Today's order requires the company to strengthen security safeguards, offer consumers an easy way to delete their data, and limit information collection on the front end. The Commission will continue to act aggressively to protect personal data, he said. According to the FTC's complaint, Chegg was first breached in September 2017 following a phishing attack that targeted multiple employees. In April 2018, a former contractor used login information to gain access to Chegg's Amazon S3 buckets to the data of millions of users. The data was later found for sale online, together with roughly 25 million passwords in plain text, which forced the company to reset the passwords of 40 million users. In April 2019, after a Czech executive's credentials were stolen in a phishing attack, a threat actor gained access to the executive email inbox and the personal info, including financial and medical information of users and employees. And then in 2020, another Czech employee fell victim to phishing, allowing the attackers to access the payroll system and this time steal hundreds of employees' W-2 information, including birth dates and social security numbers. The FTC complaint alleges that these four data breaches were a result of several poor data security practices, including Chegg's failure to implement basic security measures such as the lack of multi-factor authentication, the use of single login for all compromised databases, and no monitoring for malicious activity. Chegg is also accused of storing the employees' and customers' sensitive information insecurely and failing to provide its employees and contractors with phishing awareness training. As a result of these failures, some of the data about Chegg's 40 million customers stolen by its former contractor was later found for sale online, the FTC said. Chegg's failure to protect its employees' medical and financial data was particularly problematic since this information is valuable on the open market and is used to commit identity theft and fraud. A Chegg spokesperson shared the following update Data privacy is a top priority for Chegg. Ed worked cooperatively with the Federal Trade Commission on these matters to find a mutually agreeable outcome and will comply fully with the mandates outlined in the Commission's administrative order. The instance in the Federal Trade Commission's complaint related to issues that occurred more than two years ago. No monetary fines were assessed. We believe our positive negotiations with the FTC are indicative of our current robust security practices as well as our efforts to continuously improve our security programme. Chegg is wholly committed to safeguarding users' data and has worked with reputable privacy organisations to improve our security measures and will continue our efforts.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: Remain in the USA and a Russian hacker who was convicted for his leading role in one of the largest data thefts in US history has been released from prison after serving most of his 12-year sentence. Vladimir Drinkman was released from a Pennsylvania jail on October twenty eighth. US Immigration and Customs Enforcement did not respond to a request for comment on whether Drinkman had been turned over for deportation. A process in itself can take several months. Drinkman's lawyer, Igor Litvak, declined to comment. Drinkman was a key member of a criminal hacking group that penetrated major US corporations including Heartland Payment Systems, which at the time it was breached in 2008 was one of the biggest US payment processing firms. The Heartland attack, the largest breach in history at the time, cost the payment company more than $200 million in losses. The Heartland attack is still ranked among the 10 largest data breaches of all time. In addition to breaking into Heartland, the hacking gang also breached NASDAQ OMX Group 7-Eleven, JCPenney, JetBlue Airways and others according to prosecutors. In total they stole a the data of more than 160 million credit cards leading to more than $300 million in damages. Several of the most commonly used forums where hackers bought and sold stolen credit card data and traded tips included Card Planet and Direct Connection. A Russian man Alexei Berkov was extradited from Israel to the United States and later pleaded guilty in 2020 to U.S. charges relating to his oversight of these forums. He was deported to Russia in 2021. According to U.S. court filings, Drinkman and another co-conspirator, Alexander Kalinin, specialised in penetrating network security and gaining access to corporate data systems. Drinkman, along with a third man, Roman Kotov, also focused on mining the networks to steal valuable data. Another Russian man, Dmitry Smilionets, then sold the stolen credit card information on forums for $10 to $50 each and distributed the proceeds of the scheme to the others. Keren and Kotov, both of whom are Russian citizens, are believed to still be in Russia. Drinkman was arrested in the Netherlands in June 2012 at the request of the United States, along with Smilionets. While Smilionets cooperated with US authorities and arrived in the United States a few months after his arrest, Drinkman fought his extradition for more than a year. Ultimately, Drinkman pleaded guilty in 2015 and was sentenced to 12 years in prison, including time served since his arrest. It's one of the harshest sentences given to a Russian hacker. Drinkman served a total of 10 years and 4 months, or 86% of his sentence, which is common in the US where federal prisoners can earn credit each year for good behaviour and typically serve 85% of their sentence. Smillionettes were sentenced just to the time they had already served and currently resides in the USA, where he works as a cyber threat intelligence analyst. Dropbox has disclosed a security breach after threat actors stole 130 code repositories after gaining access to one of its GitHub accounts using employee credentials stolen in a phishing attack. The company discovered the attacker's breach account on October 14th when GitHub notified it of suspicious activity that had started one day before the alert was sent. To date, our investigation has found that the code accessed by the threat app has contained some credentials, primarily API keys, used by Dropbox developers, Dropbox revealed on Tuesday. The code and the data around it has also included a few thousand names and email addresses belonging to Dropbox employees, current and past customers, sales leads and vendors. But Dropbox was keen to put this into context by reminding us that it has over 700 million registered users. The successful breach resulted from a phishing attack that targeted multiple Dropbox employees using emails impersonating the CircleCI continuous integration and delivery platform and redirected them to a phishing landing page where they were asked to enter their GitHub username and password. On the same phishing page, the employees were also asked to use their hardware authentication key to pass a one-time password. After stealing the Dropbox's credentials, the attackers gained access to one of Dropbox's GitHub organisations and stole 130 of its code repositories. These repositories included our own copies of third-party libraries, slightly modified for use by Dropbox, internal prototypes, and some tools and configuration files used by the security team, the company said. Importantly, they did not include any code for our core applications or infrastructure. Access to those repositories is even more limited and strictly controlled. Dropbox added that the attackers never had access to any customer accounts, passwords or payment information, and its core applications and infrastructure were not affected as a result of the breach. In response to the incident, Dropbox is working on securing its entire environment using web authentication and hardware tokens and biometric factors. In September, other GitHub users were in a similar attack, impersonating the CircleCI platform, and asked them to sign into their GitHub accounts to accept user terms and privacy policy updates to keep using the service. While GitHub itself was not affected, the campaign has impacted many victim organisations, GitHub said in an advisory note at the time. GitHub said it detected content exfiltration from private repositories almost immediately after the compromise, with the threat actors using virtual private networks or proxy services to make tracing more difficult.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Button.
1: Returning to the ECJ now, the European Court of Justice, and on October the 27th, the ECJ held that controllers of personal data must take reasonable steps to inform other controllers when a data subject withdraws consent. This decision stems from a request made by a subscriber to a Belgian telecommunications provider to not have his information included in the public telephone directories and directory inquiry services published by the company and other third parties. The controller pulled the subscriber's information from a public record but re-added the information to directories after it received an update to the subscriber's data that was not noted as being confidential. The subscriber submitted multiple requests for its data to be removed and submitted a complaint with the Belgian Data Protection Authority. The data Protection Authority ordered the company to take immediate action and fined it €20,000 Euros for infringing several provisions of GDPR. The controller appealed, arguing that the consent of the subscriber is not required for the purposes of publication of his or her personal data in the telephone directories, rather the subscribers must themselves request not to be included in those directories under an opt-out system. In the absence of such a request, the subscriber's concern may in fact be included in those directories. The DPA contended, however, that the Privacy and Electronic Communications Directive requires the consent of subscribers within the meaning of GDPR in order for the providers of the directories to be able to propose this and pass on their personal data. The Bustle's court of appeal referred questions to the ECJ for a preliminary ruling after determining that there are no specific rules concerning the withdrawal by a subscriber of his or her statement of wishes or that consent. The ECJ determined that controllers of personal data and must get consumers' informed consent before publishing their information in a public directory. Further, the ECJ determined that such consent can be extended to any subsequent processing of data by third parties, provided the data is processed for the same purpose to which the consumer consented. However, consumers can withdraw consent at any time, and controllers are required to make reasonable efforts to notify third parties, including search engine providers, that are making use of the subscribers' information to withdraw. Notably, the ECJ concluded that if various controllers rely on a single consent of a data subject, it's sufficient in order for the person to withdraw such consent that he or she contacts any one of those controllers.
0: Wish there was a simple guide to GDPR? Well, now there is. GDPR made simple. Available now on Amazon.
1: We're rapidly approaching an important date. The date of December 27, 2022, marks the end of roughly 18 month transition period that companies had to replace any of the old versions of the standard contractual clauses for international transfer of personal data by the new standard contractual clauses, which the European Commission adopted on June 4, 2021. As of December 27, 2022, EU supervisory authorities may start GDPR enforcement proceedings against any companies that are still on the old version of the standard contractual clauses.
0: Contact us on Helpdesk at GDPRWeeklyShow.com
1: We hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show and that you found the information useful and informative. We do really appreciate your feedback, so please do email us at feedback at GDPRWeeklyShow.com with any comments you might have about the articles we've raised this week or indeed any suggestions you might have for improvements to the show. The GDPR Weekly Show is a Insurity Production Please be advised that any advice given during the show is general in nature and should not be taken as specific legal advice. You should always seek legal advice according to your own specific circumstances.
0: Until next time, bye bye!